Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you. My name is Bruce O'Neill, and I'm going to read some scripture in a moment and then explain it uh, to us and declare about God's love for us that it stays. Well, hopefully by now uh, you have found your way uh, to Romans uh, chapter 8. I'm going to read uh, from verse 31 to the end of the chapter. We, if you're new to EP, we have for uh, the month of June been working through this great glorious uh, chapter, which Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher of the 20th century, called the greatest chapter ever written in human history. And so we've been slowly working through that, and we're coming to the apex, the, the climax of, the, of what Paul had to say about uh, uh, life in Christ, and it's going to be glorious. And so I'm going to read that to you. Uh, please follow along. It, it's in uh, the Pew Bible that's in front of you. You can pull that out if you'd like on 1201 or follow along on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord as I read. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercede, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We regard it as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. May God help us to understand this, his word. I told you it was glorious and beautiful not only to read, but to hear. And the only thing that I'm concerned about is that I muck it up. The great fear is that I would create some distraction from the beauty of this text. My hope is that this text will become for us a lens by which we make sense of love, make sense of God's love for us as his children. We are always asking two fundamental questions. It doesn't matter whether you've been in the church your whole life or this is the first Sunday you've ever been to church. It doesn't matter whether you're inside this building or you're out there in the community. We fundamentally want answers to these two important questions. Am I loved? And if I am loved, will love stay? Two fundamental defining questions. Am I loved and will love stay? I think we need those answers. Love in our culture is the theme of our time. 
You can't drive on the interstate without seeing a billboard about love. Read a book, watch a movie, or in our songs. We are constantly asking these two questions. Is love forever? I'm going to read to you a little bit from an Atlantic article written by Peter uh, Berkowitz, who, it, the article's called Wooed by Freedom, but the gist of it is how the lack of permanence in our culture, in all of the systems that we have that are so technologically advanced, have created a, a, a culture of separateness. And how those two intertwine have created a lack of love. He says this, The lessons of impermanence and the systems of separateness intertwine. They're constantly complementing and reinforcing each other. Quickening and emboldening familiar human proclivities. Here's his point. They encourage us to distrust others because we attribute to others the same attachment to the freedom to do as one pleases that we discern in ourselves. They impel us to suppose that others are withholding themselves from us because to safeguard our independence, we routinely routinely withhold a part of ourselves from them. They goad us to suspect that friends and lovers are secretly devising schemes for a fast getaway because we are carefully and covertly formulating such contingency contingency plans ourselves. Do you hear that? Because we're protecting ourselves, we assume that they, their love for us won't stay. So we make sure our love never stays. We have been asking people and places and things to love us. And that's why we wonder, will their love stay? And so we keep asking more people and more places and more things, will you love me? What we will do for love is astounding and deafening. So Romans 8 comes along in this text to assure us of the one constant permanent love in the cosmos. God's love. His chapter began with no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It ends with there is no possibility of separating God's love in Christ Jesus for us. And this is what makes Christianity stand alone in the world. That there is nothing in this life or in the life to come. There's nothing high or low, it doesn't matter who sits in the White House, that God will not withdraw his love from us. And so let me ask and answer from this text those two questions, those two fundamental questions. 
Am I loved? And if I am loved, will the love stay? So first, am I loved? Our text literally asks these two questions in five questions. It, it begins in verse 31, who can be against us? And then in verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? In verse 34, who can condemn us? In verse 35, who can separate us from God's love? And in verse 35 again, can anything make God's love go away? The picture that we have here is of a courtroom. Odd thing to use as an illustration or a metaphor for God's love, but it's the one that Paul decides to use. This idea that there's a judge who sits upon the bench We have entered into the room. We have sat down at the defendant's table. There's a prosecutor who has a charge, an indictment listed with all the things that we have done. He has marshaled a list of witnesses against us who will testify to the things that we have done, both in public and in secret, all for the sake of condemning us before the judge. And in this courtroom... The voice that we know in our own mind that we have charged ourselves is now becoming audible. The things that we thought no one knew, the things that we thought no one could ever find out, are now all made public. Some of the things that will be said obviously are not true, but most of them are. When Tim Keller decided to write a book on this idea of God's love. He is the one who used this metaphor like Paul here of a courtroom. And he says this, we look for that ultimate verdict every day and in all situations and in all the people around us. Do you hear that? Everything we're asking, am I okay? Am I loved? That means every single day we are on trial, every single day we put ourselves back into that courtroom and we hope that someone on the witness stand will tell us we are loved. But each time, instead we are charged and we are condemned. Sadly, we put ourselves back into the courtroom on a daily basis. Why? Because you and I need to know, am I loved? Am I really, really loved? The condemnation is almost palatable to us. If God is for us, who could be against us? You and I, we need an advocate. Don't hear that as somebody who just uh, pleads uh, for you, but someone who literally walks in and is your attorney before the judge. And God has provided graciously one. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered us up for, um, for us all. How will he not freely give us all things? Can I ask you to just do one thing this morning? Just one. Don't do the church thing. 
Don't come in here today to listen to this message that God loves you and that his love stays and then walk out to that door into a courtroom and ask for another verdict. Stay for the 20 minutes we've got left and let this sink in so that when you're out there, you haven't entered into that courtroom again. I think it's incredibly hard to talk about how much God loves us and that his, his love cannot be separated from us for us to not then walk out there and begin to wonder again, am I loved? And if I am, will it stay? I want you to understand there's a lie that we Christians have been teaching and we Christians have been believing. It's not from the Bible. I think it's really from Satan because he wants us to believe this lie. Because if we'll believe this lie, then the gospel won't be good news. And here's the lie. Somewhere we were taught and we have believed that God's love is unconditional. And it is not. We have believed and someone has taught us that God's love is unconditional for you. And it was incredibly conditional because it was conditioned upon his own son dying for you. God's love for you came at an incredible cost to him. This idea that it didn't cost anyone anything, it cost God to give you grace. That which you received freely by faith cost him his own son. That same Jesus that came here and allowed himself to be crucified for the sins of his people enters into the courtroom with you to hear every witness testify against what you have done, to hear the prosecutor deliver the indictment, only to hear this. I died for that one too. Isn't that crazy? Listen, if, if you reject Christianity, reject it for this. I think one of the reasons people reject Christianity is because they've heard something untrue. Like God's love is unconditional. But please, if you're going to reject Christianity, reject it because it's incredibly crazy to think that God would come here and die for us. One of the reasons that we confess our sins publicly, doesn't that sound crazy to you? That we, we get a few hundred people in the room and then we make you recite a confession of sin. You ever wonder why we do that? That's, it's so against the nature to admit something bad about ourselves. But if we don't do that, if we don't admit what everybody already knows about us, then are we willing to receive the grace that is also freely offered to us? I don't think so. I think we tend to think that Christianity is okay news not good news for the condemned. 
That's the idea behind it. Every witness, every charge, it's true. That's what we admit about ourselves in the confession of sin. It's true. But then we have an assurance. Do you know the old Puritans, they didn't call it assurance. That's our nice way of saying it. They called it a pardon on behalf of Christ. You are forgiven in Christ. He's not doing it himself. It's on behalf. It's because of what Christ has done. It is because the, 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 the Savior walked into the courtroom with us and said, I paid for that one. On that behalf, you are forgiven. You know how much we need to hear that? We need to hear that as much as we need our best friends to tell us they love us. You ever heard that terrible, terrible joke about marriage? Where the uh, wife comes up to the husband and says, you know, you never tell me you love me. And he says, I told you I loved you on our wedding day. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. We need to hear that we are loved. And in this church, almost every Sunday, after we have admitted our need Somebody stands up here and says, you are forgiven because you are loved. Tony Dungy, Super Bowl champion coach, has this talk, and I've heard it before from him, and he typically gives it when he's around athletes and other people in a room of hundreds, if not thousands of people, He's done it for at least 15 years. And the, and the story goes like this. Tony Dungy had three sons. The oldest son died. And uh, Tony tells this story about how when he died, his son was a, uh, an organ donor. And so people who had received the cornea of the heart, the different parts, you... you you can't know who the person is, but you can send a thank you note and it'll make it away to the family. Uh, they have a way to do that. And so he would get these letters, he and his wife, about, you know, I can see because I, I have your son's cornea. Or I'm alive today because I have your son's heart. And he would get these letters and they were really incredibly encouraging. And, and by now, everybody in the audience is just weeping. And, and he would say, you know, I didn't have a particularly really good relationship with him uh, before he died. And, and I really challenge you that if you have a relationship with your kid, there's nothing on this planet that would, should keep you from that child, no matter what that child has done. And he would really encourage them to reconcile the relationship. And he'd get dozens and dozens of letters after a particular talk and of how people who, who had those bad relationships with their kids and after that talk, they would go and reconcile. And then, because Tony Dungy is a believer, he would bring the gospel to bear on what changed in his life. And, and so people would commit their lives to Christ right there in that talk. And, and so he would follow them up and... And he said, you know, if, if God came to me and said, Tony, your son is going to have an incredible impact upon this world. People are going to see who are blind. People who had no heart are going to get a new heart. 
And people's relationships were broken, but they're going to mend. And the people who didn't know Jesus will know Jesus. The only thing I require of you is the life of your son. Tony Dungy said, if, if God came to me and asked me that, I would say, no way on earth. There's no way I'm giving up my son for anybody. You know, that's exactly what happened in history. Blind people see. The lame walk. Broken relationships are healed. And people love Jesus because the father said yes. Take my son for us. God said yes. Our culture has looked at the the death of Jesus and has said this is cosmic child abuse. How could anybody do that to their son for other people? And the answer is because he loved us. God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. This is an incredibly beautiful, crazy love because nobody loves like this. Jesus entered that courtroom with us. He sat down at the defendant's table with us. He listened to every charge by the prosecutor against us and every witness who offered some evidence. And he said, they are mine. Take your hands off of them. And then the judge declared about you, not guilty. Not because you weren't. Because your advocate took your punishment. He who knew no sin, I love this part. He didn't lay your sins at his feet and his blood drip out of his body onto them to cover them up. That's another misunderstanding of what Jesus did. It says that he who knew no sin, that word know is the same word that Adam knew Eve. There was an intimate knowledge. And he said, he who knew no sin became sin. On that cross, a murderer died. On that cross, a rapist died. On that cross, a child molester died. Because those are our sins that he took in himself. He was acquainted with our sin. Because he loved us. Because he loved you. God speaks those beautiful words at the very moment you feel condemned. Are you loved? I hope by now you figured it out. You are incredibly loved. And it cannot be removed. This is why Paul uses at this point to talk about election and predestination. That's not not Presbyterian words. That's not even Reformed words. They are God's words. We are giving election and we're giving predestination not as a source of pride and arrogance, but so that we might be assured that God's love cannot leave. Which brings us to that second question. C.S. Lewis had a, uh, a beautiful, uh, well, I don't know about beautiful, tool shed. <laughs> and he would go into his tool shed in his garden, which we call backyards. And he would go in there and he didn't have a light. So when, if the door closed, it would be pitch black, except for these beams of light that would come through the cracks. And he said this, love of God, it is one thing for us to talk about love. 
Here is what it is. It is another thing to let it fall on your eyes, to experience it, for everything else to go dark and for you to be enveloped by it. Who shall separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And he gives us a list of the things that we're afraid that if this happens to us, then we'll be separated from love or be evidence that we're not loved. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. These are the things we're afraid of. These are the things that we fear. Do you believe that love stays on your bad days as well as your good days? Everybody believes they're loved on their good days. It's your bad days. Do you believe that love stays when things go bad? Do you doubt God's love for you? That his love will stay no matter what? That's why he gives us this other list. Not about our fears, but our realities. You can't think of a reality that's not covered here. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is there any kind of existence that you can think of that can separate you, that loves God's love cannot go, not even in death? Death has no sting and the grave has no victory over God's love. Does God's love stay in spite of who's in the White House? Neither angels or rulers can separate us. Is there any moment in time that God's love cannot be? Neither present things nor things to come can separate you from God's love. Is there any place on this planet or in this cosmos that God's love cannot go? There is not a high place or a low place or an in-between place that God's love cannot go. When he gave the great commission and sent the church out, he said, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them all that I have commanded you. And then he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He doesn't say it ends at the end of the age, but even there my love goes then we are given one final word. Nothing in all creation, just in case I forgot something, can separate you from God's love. Absolutely nothing. Here's the kicker. Not even you. Not even you on your worst day. Not even you on the worst day of your life can make God's love not stay. Thanks be to God. You are loved. And that nothing that you can do or anybody else can cause him not to love you. Use that to go out into this world. Who needs to hear that God loves them? Besides us, everybody out there. Because they're asking the same question you're asking. Am I loved? And will love stay? And you've got the answer. Will you not tell them the greatest good news that humanity has been dying to hear? I'm loved. And it cannot be lost. Even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this. And thank you that we needed to sit here and to think about how great your love is for us. 
Because as soon as we walk out those doors and all of the cares of this world and all the things that have been pressing in on us all week long are going to come back with force. And we need to be reminded that your love stays and your love goes with us even to the end of the age. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.